we start looking at what how's a church measured because so many ways the world wants to measure a church they want to measure it by the number of baptisms or they want to measure it by the size of the building or the property and um, people have said well how big is your church and I usually say we can fit it in your lobby <laughs> okay but it's be- it's big enough for us right now and if the Lord's got more for us then fine. We built it to expand. So it's up to him whether it's ever expanded or not. But it's a blessing to be able to meet together with with people who love God's word, who want to know him better, who want to live it in their own life. And that is a great blessing. Uh, It's a blessing for me to be here. It's a blessing hopefully for you to be here and to be able to uh, enjoy one another in, in this way. Uh, Dr. Kelvin's going to fill in for me next week. That's what uh, that's what his name is on there. He's not just bringing the extra shovels. Uh, I have a board meeting to go to down in Texas, and so uh, I'll, I'll be gone next Sunday. But uh, I think you're going to get a treat. It is Dr. Kelvin White. That wasn't a misprint. And he's working on his second doctorate now at Grace School of Theology. And uh, he is... Uh, uh, so he's he's continues to learn he continues to grow and it's been a great blessing to be able to serve with him and uh, he he takes uh, takes a load off of me and I really appreciate him doing that so uh, I think you'll be in for a treat next next week uh, I know sometimes my mother used to get so mad at people because she was a church secretary when I was growing up and when a preacher was gone nobody'd show up and she gets so mad. She said, aren't we supposed to be a family? Aren't we supposed to be a church? Aren't we supposed to be part of the body? She had a point there, didn't she? You don't have to have the pastor as the figurehead in order to be able to assemble yourself together and raise up uh, praise and worship to the Lord. So uh, uh, don't look at that and go, well, I'll take off next Sunday. Please don't. <laughs> if you do... Okay, you'll still be loved. You won't lose your salvation. Of course, you'll never get a crown. (laughs) No threats here. (laughs) But in any event, we are studying the measure of a church. See, the measure of a church is about faith, hope, and love. That's why those are on the wall. And they've been on the wall since we got the building completed. Faith, hope, and love. That's Who do we believe in? Not what can we make ourselves believe, but what is the object of our faith? An object of our faith we know is the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Almighty, the God the one that spoke and brought the heavens into existence, the object of our faith. And that is for the now. That's how we live in the now. We walk by faith and not by sight. One day we'll be able to see all this stuff so we're no longer going to be walking by faith anymore. We'll be walking by sight in the presence of the Lord. Hope is about faith concerning the future. Now, if you have faith about the now and faith about what God has already revealed has happened in the past, the history, that Christ has come, that God became flesh, he dwelt among us, he took our place on a cross, he redeemed us, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, literally. And you believe that and you let that guide your life as a Christian, then you'll continue to grow and your hope will increase. Because hope is about faith for the future. Do you really believe that Jesus is coming back to get his people? If you don't, it's pretty easy to lose hope. In this world, it is almost impossible to have any real hope. 
But if you believe that, that's where your hope starts. He's coming back one of these days. He's coming back for little old me. How do I know? Because I trusted him for my eternal life. That's how I know. How do you know? The same way. It's not any different. And so that grows and becomes more and more a part of who you are. So it's not, it's not if, it's when he's coming back. And if I'm not alive, he chooses to take me home before that, that's fine with me too. Because those who have died in Christ, when the trumpet sounds and the voice of an archangel, the dead's going to walk away from their graves. That'd be one of me. That'd be pretty cool too, wouldn't it? I w- I'd like to be at a cemetery doing a service whenever the rapture happens. Uh, quite honestly, that'd be so much fun. Because it says the dead in Christ will rise first, then. And it's a sequential event. And I'm thinking, whoa, how long is the then? We don't know. Is it, is it going to, we know this body's going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Is it not? That's, that's how it's going to be changed. But it says, then we who are alive, and it, do we get two or three minutes or two or three seconds even to know, Lord, this is happening, isn't it? <laughs> do we get long enough to use our cell phones and say, I told you so? <laughs> Give me ten minutes. I got people I'm going to call. <laughs> but see, that's what hope is about. And then how do we live? With faith and hope, we live with love. Because see, a lot of people try to live with love and they got their faith in the wrong object. Their hope is questionable. They think that this life is all there is to it. And, and so they really end up losing hope before it's all said and done. But we, we live in love. And as our love grows and we become more and more uh, in love with God himself and learn to love one another, as he loves us. And to learn to love our enemies. As Christ loved them. As that happens. Guess what else happens. Our hope grows. And our faith grows. As each one of these is built. It has the potential to build the other two. So how important is that? Very. What did we start off looking at? Our relationship to the Trinity. Faith is primarily exercised toward the Son. That is the object of our faith. Love comes from where? The Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What about hope? Didn't the Father lay out a plan? The end from the beginning. Okay, He laid it out and he said, this is what's going to happen. That's where your hope is built. So as you grow in hope, you get closer to Daddy. That's the way it works. As you grow in faith, you get closer to His Son. And as you grow in love, you get closer to the Holy Spirit. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And then things start being manifested. Because you get to, with with love, you get to love one another. You get to evangelize. With this hope, you become an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador. You're the father of taking the message from the king of kings to everyone else. See, and as as your faith grows, you get, guess what you get from the Lord? You get a ministry. Hmm. From the Holy Spirit, you get a gift. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, there are a variety of gifts, but one spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but one Lord. There are varieties of effects, but one God who works all things. So, how do we look at this life? We got hope. 
One day Jesus will come back, the object of our faith. All the lights in the world will have gone out and He'll light them back up. And everyone will look on Him. Sadly, for some, it'll be too late. But everyone will look on Him and know that they should have shut their mouths and bowed their knees already. That's what should have happened. So, that's what we're looking at. But we're looking at how important is it? Now, if it's mentioned once in Scripture, that's plenty because it's God's Word. If it's mentioned two or three times in Scripture, then you certainly better pay attention to it. What if it's mentioned multiple times, like faith, hope, and love, are all mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament? Do you think maybe they're important topics of conversation? So we've been looking at faith, hope, and love throughout the books of the New Testament, taken in chronological order of when they are written. We have gotten, actually, to the book of Ephesians, But we're first going to take just a moment of prayer, ask that the Lord would be our teacher, and we are going to try and and, uh, learn some things from from Him this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You. We thank You for being able to, to look into Your Word. We thank You for Your teaching. We thank you for the fellowship we have by the Spirit. Father, and we, <clears throat> and we thank you especially for the, the ministry that has been given us by the Lord. Father, I pray as we come together in the classroom of Christianity that we learn all the more about the message that we are supposed to take to a lost and dying world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we have looked, what do we start looking at? We looked at James. First book of the New Testament, 46 A.D., and we started looking at, well, how is it used in the book of James? Well, faith and love are used in the book of James, but hope is not. So it tells us by inference that if they if they have issues of faith and love and they got that, they need hope. This is the early church. This is 46 A.D., 13 years after the resurrection. So they're looking at it and, and they're going, well, let's see, what else do we need in this early church? Okay, we need faith, we need love. And what is he talking to them about with their hope? Is there an inference in the book of James to hope? There actually is an inference in the first seven verses of the fifth chapter of James that deal with the rich of the last days. So what it's telling us is about there is something in the future that's all part of God's plan. Get ready for it. The rich, they withhold the pay of the laborers who mowed their field is what they did. They are the ultra-rich, the super-rich. And gosh, if you start looking at them, they're all over this planet right now. There's a whole lot of billionaires. uh, And uh, a billionaire is really uh, not very rich anymore. Uh, When when you look at it, to us it is. I don't know any billionaires in here, but... a billionaire, when you look at it, well, I, how much are you? I only got a billion. And you're talking to somebody who's got 600 billion. You know, it's kind of a, uh, a thing, but withholding the pay of their laborers, and one of the things that the rich tend to do is oppress. So James is warning about that. And be on the lookout. It's going to happen in the last days. Then he moves to Galatians. What also is getting ready to happen in the early church, they've developed, started to develop some of the same legalisms that the Jews had developed. 
the Jews had developed a system in their own mind of salvation by works. And Paul writes and says, if someone comes with another gospel, don't listen to him. If I or an angel of heaven comes with another gospel, don't listen to him. What is a gospel? You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is not of works. So he's talking about a gospel of works, which is interesting. Every world religion except Christianity. So what's the devil trying to do? Get works into our gospel and therefore taint our gospel by always trying to add something to it, and that's that's what he does. Now, hope is only mentioned once in Galatians, but faith builds patience and it builds hope, and faith working through love is what really matters. But hope is important, and all three are mentioned in the book of Galatians because faith... How we say? By faith, once again. So he is dealing with the object of the faith as he moves through the book of Galatians. 1 Thessalonians is where we get the definition. Third book written of the New Testament. Thessalonica was a little bitty town where Paul went and made tents. Until, it, until the church got established, he was only there three Sabbath days before he got ran out of town. Okay. They ran him out of town on a rail is what they did. And then they followed him. He was kind of experiencing some persecution. Uh, James, the, the book, one that wrote the book of James was the half-brother of the Lord. And James, the disciple, was already dead when First Thessalonians was written. He died in 48 A.D. and this is 51. But he talks to the Thessalonians about their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. And so, see, faith, if you really have faith, it doesn't mean you sit idle. What it does mean is that you put your faith to work and you go tell other people about the object of your faith. Not about the greatness of your faith, but about the object of your faith. Real faith, see, is humbling. You ever notice that? Real faith is humbling. Because you are putting your faith in a greater object than yourself for your eternity. So real faith does not breed arrogance. It breeds humility is what it does. So 1 Thessalonians. Now in 2 Thessalonians, he commended them on their faith and their love, but their hope was shot. Why? In chapter 2, somebody came and said, The day of the Lord's already come and you missed it. Now that would shatter your hope if you're looking for, the, for the, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ that he spent so much time talking about in 1 Thessalonians. That's where the rapture passage is found. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, he'll deliver us from the wrath that is going to come. I mean, different passages, the end of each chapter in, in Thessalonians, the way they broke the chapters down, you have an exhortation to look forward to the rapture. That's what you have all the way through Thessalonians. And now somebody comes and says, the, the Lord has come and you missed it. You know, it's kind of like when you lose your kids in Walmart for a while. You think, did they get raptured and I got left? Or you lose your spouse in there especially. And you can't find them. What happened to them? Well, hope gets shot, doesn't it? Then we move to 1 Corinthians. And this is... <laughs> this is... It's all about faith, hope, and love because they didn't get anything right. And what does he start teaching them about? Faith, hope, and love. They thought the spiritual gifts were the most important part of the Christian life. 
They thought who baptized too was another important part of the Christian life. And he says, no. So what does he do? With 16 chapters there, he talks to them about the object of their faith. We preach Christ crucified. Chapter 1, verse 23. That's who we preach. That's part of our preaching ministry. We preach him crucified. Chapter 15, he rebuilds the, the whole viewpoint of resurrection because some have even stopped believing in, in the resurrection. These were carnal Christians. They didn't have any part of faith, hope, and love. But when he writes them back in 2 Corinthians, their faith, hope, and love are restored. He commends them on all three. See, so he addressed it. What did Paul do? The verse we studied first hour, preach the word, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. What did he do? That very same thing. He was bold in the way he did it. He made it very clear uh, that they were headed in the wrong direction. But see what Paul did? And they responded. Now they weren't where they needed to be because he encourages them all, build your hope. Let it be blessed abundantly. Build your love. Uh, that you're starting to love one another and not play the cliquish games of who baptized who. Or in chapter 11 was another game of cliques. Whenever they got together for the Lord's table, they used to have a drunken party and divide up. And so he said, that stuff's got to stop, people. And so in any event, 2 Corinthians, their, their faith, hope, and love are restored. What does he do with it in Romans? In Romans, they have a model faith. It's pretty clear. And he's writing to the church at Rome. They have a potential for hope and a real call to honest love. Romans 12, 9, one of those passages that is so often overlooked when you start talking about love, but it says the love, literally, from the Greek, without hypocrisy. Okay? There's, there's no, I love you and you really don't. Can't stand somebody and you use the term just to try and get them away from you or something like that and you really don't. That's love with hypocrisy. That's what the Jews did. And Paul recognized that and he says, the love is without hypocrisy. And then he goes on, that's 12, 9, all the way to verse 21 and through verse 21 and he tells you, what you can get hypocritical about and what you need to work on. So, I mean, it's, it's very good. Some people can say they, they love you, but they really want to kill you. Okay? And some people just want to kill you every now and then. But it's still not the way love is supposed to work. That shouldn't be the way we think. Love is without hypocrisy. For our kids to know that we love them unconditionally is so very important. But love, see disciplines because to go the other direction is not good and if you love them you want to tell them you want to tell them that there's a problem there and bring discipline that's Hebrews 12 4 so the next one we look at where we left off last week was Ephesians now the church at Ephesus <clears throat> this will kind of test your your thinking just get a get a overview of, of Ephesians I know we've all been in here. We've been looking at the Bible for a long time. And if you start going through Ephesians, you can break it into two parts real easy. First three chapters are theology. The last three chapters are practical application. 
Now Paul does that frequently. First 11 chapters of Romans are theology. The last five chapters are practical application. And so that's what he's doing here with the church at Ephesus. And he's right now. What's the, they're, they're commended on their faith and their love, are they not? And what does he do in chapter 2? By grace you've been saved through faith. That's where that verse occurs at. And they are being exhorted to extend their hope. In Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 19. This is an important passage once again. It says, For this reason I too, having heard of the, of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those who believe. In the end of chapter 3, he says that he is able to do, he's greater than the height, width, breadth, and depth of anything you can think or imagine. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can think or imagine. So when we start praying for things, like George says, he thought, well, why don't I just pray about it? Why don't you just pray about it? Because the Lord can work stuff out, and it's so neat to watch him. When you get to the end of your rope, you should have been praying all along (laughs) before you get there. But if you get there, pray harder. That's what we're called to do. So... Here is they're, they're exhorted to continue in, in this hope that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So here is the book of Ephesians. Now what does Ephesians teach us? Chapter 2 is about grace, very clearly. It's about the fact we can't save ourselves by works. And what do we end up with in chapter 3? Oh, this is what the church is all about. The church is all about and where did the church come from and how does it fit into the dispensational framework. And then he starts us off and moves us in chapter 4. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one call. I mean, this is these are amazing chapters. I don't know how many times I've taught Ephesians. And like anything else, every time I go through it, I find something that is deeper and more profound in that book. And whenever you, you go through and look at it, it is so practical. It is so very practical for us to learn how to how to do things. Ephesians 5.11 Expose those who are walking in darkness. That goes with our reprove to expose the evil that is out there. It goes with it and it tells us again in the book of, the book of Ephesians. And then when you get into chapter 6 how can you just blow through chapter 6 and not slow down and read it again? Chapter first part of the chapter is about the uh, fathers loving their children as as Christ loved the church, learning to love appropriately. Into chapter five is about husbands and wives learning to love each other correctly. And then as you move into chapter uh, six, verse ten, you get an amazing, <laughs> amazing picture of a Roman soldier. 
Now, it, th these are impressive. To get a picture, look one up, Google it, whatever. You can find them some because they still reenact some of these things. But this is, this is amazing. And one of the more important verses in the angelic conflict, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Boy, if we understand that, it's against the world forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Now, that's a powerful statement with far-reaching ramifications. We're doing battles against worldviews more than we're doing against people. That's what we should be battling. We need to know how some people think and we need to know for sure how we think and be able to defend what we think and why. And so he's telling us that. And then he says, put on the full armor of God, the panoply of God. Put it, put it on. And put on this breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation. Your feet shod with the gospel of, the same, of, of, of peace. This is an amazing picture in the book of Ephesians. But he's writing to this amazing little church at this point in time. And he is, he is telling them, keep growing in these three things. Now in Revelation chapter 2 and verse in the first seven verses is another letter to the church at Ephesus written by the Apostle John, not Paul. And he says, The Lord says through John to them, I have this against you that you left your first love. <clears throat> what kind of love? Because I've heard a lot of different explanations of what kind of love that is. Some would say it was their love of the world. Or of the love of the word. But it says also in that same paragraph. That by this you identified the false teachers and false prophets. So they hadn't, dis de they hadn't departed from their love of the word. What they departed from is their love of one another. And that's how do we know that? Ephesians 1.15. That was the love that they had. And they had departed from that. Because knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And they started dividing up over who knew what and all those other things. And that was, that was uh, an attempt to shut that down. What about the book of Philippians? <clears throat> these are called the pastoral or prison epistles. And these are very interesting books. Uh, once again, sometimes they call Philippians a book of joy. Paul writes about joy and what's real joy and what's not real joy. <clears throat> he said, we work together, teaming together for the cause of the gospel. He said, people are trying to cause me trouble. And saying, oh, so-and-so is teaching this and somebody's teaching that. And, and he said, you know, I'm going to rejoice that in the fact that Jesus is being proclaimed. Hmm. Now, do I, do I have issues with... Some churches, yeah. But we have to love them in the fact that they're proclaiming Jesus Christ. Somebody may really want to find out about him. They may really decide that where is he revealed? Not in church documents, in the Bible itself. So you go back to the Bible and find out what does the Bible have to say about it. Now they're showing, church at Philippi is showing progress in the faith. They're abounding in love and hope is being modeled by the Apostle Paul. Now Philippians 1 verses uh, 25 and 26 he says I am convinced of this I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress. See he was a southern boy. You all for your 
progress and joy in the faith. That's good biblical English. So anybody that attacks that, you can tell them Paul used it. It's good enough for me. And have a little fun with them. At your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. He says, I am so happy about your progress in what? The faith. And then in verse 9 and 10, because we're taking them in sequence, faith, hope, and love. Sometimes he mixes them up. And Paul says, and I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless till the day of Christ. So I want you to get it, get it right. And what I want to, to happen? I want your love to abound. It happens several times where he commends someone on their love and says it can get better. We never stop growing in biblical love. In Philippians 1, 19 and 20, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope. Paul is modeling hope for them. That I shall not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Now I love what follows after this because Paul is saying, he's saying so beautifully and, and they come in and they threaten me with death. Okay, here he is in prison. They threaten him with death. And he says, hey, that's okay. Because <laughs> then I'll be with my Lord. They couldn't shake him. They couldn't break him. Okay, yeah, go ahead. When can we do this? You can almost hear him say, can, you, uh, that'll be fine. Will tomorrow be too soon for you? I mean, because you're going to send me home to be with my Lord that I trust in with every part of my being. That's who I am. And I fully trust him I'm looking forward to that but then they put it off what do they do with prisoners of war they try to scare them with death they tell them all kinds of lies and everything else and they try to scare them with death they tried that with Paul didn't work he said but if he chooses to leave me here I know it's for your benefit and he's got more work for me to do and I'm fine with that so it totally disarmed the evil one whose strongest weapon is the fear of death. And so he just took that, took that away from him. So he lived several more years after this, after his uh, stint in the uh, prison. Now, <clears throat> here is Paul in the book of Philippians, called the, the uh, book of joy. Uh, it's got interesting how angelic conflict runs through some of these things. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. He's got, how about Philippians 4, 6. Cast all of your anxieties on him. Because it matters to him about you. Wow. How about, if there be any virtue. And anything worthy of praise. Let your mind dwell on these things. Don't let him dwell on all the bad stuff that's going on. Think about doing things right. Virtue. And worthy of praise. What has the Lord done? How is the Lord working? How can I pray? This is the hope being modeled by Paul. It's a book of joy. Because he is he's happy with the Philippians. An interesting thing about the Philippian church. Is that in chapter 2. We find out that he sent uh, Epaphroditus there. And he uh, 
he said, and I so much appreciate him because he's risked his life multiple times to bring me sustenance in this prison. That's what he's done. And he said, now he's fallen sick. I want you to take care of him. Now, Paul, who at one time had the gift of healing, couldn't heal his close friend, Epaphroditus. Kind of an indication maybe the gift was leaving and it was not being used as it was in the early church anymore. Because you'd think if anybody could heal, Paul could heal on command like that gift actually did. And he, and he commended to them Epaphroditus. And he said, he risked his life to bring me things. I, can, I don't want to give you country names, but we see that all the time. We see people with a ministry in various prisons, and they go in, and what happens? They gather things up. They gather up food. They gather up Bibles, whatever they can sneak in or get in, and they take them into the prisoners to help them out, many of whom are not even uh, there for political reasons, many of whom are there just because they did something they shouldn't have been doing. But somebody is going in and ministering to them. I... Uh, I had the privilege of going in a couple of prisons in my life, and they let me back out, as you can see, which is uh, some people just soon I stayed there. Uh, <clears throat> went into, it's, a, it's a weird feeling if you have not been into a prison, and it's not, uh, not that you necessarily want to visit, uh, but it is for a, a good reason. I was listening to a couple of music videos last night about a, a guy named Zach something, and he was, he was putting on a concert, uh, in a prison and the prisoners were responding wonderfully to this concert that he was doing well I had the privilege of going into a, a prison three or four times up in Pennsylvania and we had to go through all kinds of clearances and applications and all these other things we went in with a singing group uh, one, the pastor up there had a ministry going on. He went in once a week and he taught prisoners. And he took them through a full course and he had them ready to graduate and ready to teach whenever they got out of prison. After they'd served their, served their sentence, they got out and they went back and were able to go minister to other prison, prisoners. Great, great ministry. And he bring us in. The singing group was phenomenal singing group. This... Uh, guy drove me nuts he could listen to something once and play it on the on the guitar just uh you know and he'd say no you don't go to the high point there you have to wait until the next time you go to the high point now okay pete i'll i'll take care of that but in any event we would go in and those prisoners it was such a uh, a blessing to go in and minister to them we get to give them a few messages and things uh, about uh Things, of course, about Christianity, the gospel, and all that. But to, for them to have contact with somebody outside was a great blessing for them. We went into a prison in Ghana one time. It was a state prison. And as we walked in, they have a board up on the wall that's got how many prisoners in this section, how many in this section, how many on death row that were there. And it, it had it all there. And... Um, we said, they said, come on, we're going to take you on a tour through the prison. And we went, okay. And we're going to, and I said, well, you know, and I had a knife in my pocket and several things. I, we need to empty our pockets. Oh, no, come on. Okay. 
you try to get one of those into United States prison, you'll go to jail with them. It's just not, not a good thing. They said, oh, no, come on. You'll be fine. And uh, the guy we were talking to was the uh, head of operations. He was about six foot whatever and about 280 pounds of solid muscle. Any football team would have loved to have had this guy, and he was head of security. That's what he was. <clears throat> and uh, when he walked in there, what you saw was a bunch of prisoners at work. They were learning skills. They were learning trades. They were learning how to do the, the looms and the weaving, this kenta cloth that got so famous last year. They were learning how to do all this stuff so they'd have a trade whenever they got out. They made shoes. Uh, they learned how to... They actually had some of them learning how to use skill saws. And I'm thinking, what are you going to do with a power saw <laughs> in a prison with, pe- prison with people that aren't known for being real good? But anyway, and and it was all wonderful. Turned out that the, the uh, chaplain... The uh, warden, director of operations, director of security, six of the top people in that prison had been through the foundations class, and they were Christians. And they were taking that opportunity, and they set up an opportunity for me and old buddy Larry Hoffman to go in and, and teach a Bible class and give the gospel to these guys. It was really a, a wonderful thing to be able to do that. So here is Paul, and he said, you risk your life to come to me. We were escorted through those prisons. We weren't turned loose. But Paul's in there as one of the inmates, and that's a whole different thing. And for them to have some contact with somebody that might just love on them and help them out and encourage them a little bit, very, very important. Philippians, Colossians. Oh, it's not over yet, is it? Colossians. Colossians is another one of those little four-chapter books that is so loaded with doctrinal information. Once you get started in it, you don't know where to stop. It is such a beautiful passage. You get to verse 13. And it says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he goes on to talk about angels and the unseen world and the conflict going on in the next verses of chapter 2. They receive another commendation as a model church from Colossians 1.3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven in which you previously heard in a word of truth, the gospel. Now what could be better said about Trinity Bible Church than to receive a commendation like that? What could be better said about any church, anywhere, anytime, any dispensation? What would be, how, how, could, how could you get a better commendation? Because here is an apostle with the authority of the Lord writing inspired scripture and they have a, a Tremendous commendation. As you go on into chapter 2, verse 6, As you have received him, so walk in him. How do we receive him? By grace through faith. How do we walk in him? By grace through faith. Some people have trouble giving grace to other people. Some people have trouble giving grace to themselves. How are we supposed to walk? Give grace to other people. Give grace to ourselves. 
Sometimes we make stupid decisions in this life. You just can't see it any other way. Sometimes you know, everybody's made some bad decisions without question. Only one ever got through whole, all of the life without making a bad, sinful, wrong decision. Okay? But the rest of us all need grace. And if we're honest, we need it all, a whole lot most all of the time. Through faith. Colossians. How about 1 Timothy? Now 1 Timothy, these are the pastorals. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So here he's writing to young Timothy, who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So it's like he wrote, wrote letters, several letters, to the church at Ephesus. And they still goofed it up. <laughs> You've left your first love. If you don't fix it, I'm going to pull your lampstand out of its place as a warning in Revelation 2. You better fix this loving one another. Because how important is loving one another? It's the greatest evangelistic tool given to men. How do we know that? Because the Lord said, if you learn to love one another, the whole world will know you're my disciples. Now, did they all love one another at that moment in time in the upper room? When you had a tax collector, a Roman collaborator, and you had Simon the Zealot, who hated the Romans. How about three brothers that argued with each other all the time? James and John, Peter and Andrew, James the Less, and Levi, otherwise known as Matthew. You had a wide array of knuckleheads, and I believe that's why he said... If any two of you would agree on anything, I'd like to hear the tone when he delivered that. I will hear from heaven. <laughs> it's kind of like, you don't agree on anything now. So if any two of you get together and agree on something and pray, I'll hear it. Now, what did they do? They argued all the time. Well, they oh, about what? Who was the greatest? What did he teach more than once? The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Timothy, pastors are to teach the need for pure love <clears throat> and a sincere faith that is set on the hope who is in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.5 But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul tells pastors what their goal should be whenever they're teaching. A pure heart, a sincere love, a sincere faith. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. See, look at what he did, Colossians. He opened it up with faith, hope, and love. Here he is in 1 Timothy, faith, hope, and love. He says, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then 2 Timothy 2 Timothy, even pastors need to be reminded of the need for a sincere faith. Not permitting their love to wane and not putting their hope in jeopardy. Now listen to these verses in 2 Timothy. Because what, what are they commended on? What are they encouraged in? What's Timothy encouraged in? Faith, hope, and love. Outset of 1 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy. He says, I am mindful of the sincere faith that is within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. 
and I'm sure that it's in you as well. So, Timothy, I know you have a sincere, honest, true faith. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God bestowed on you with the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He writes Timothy because Timothy, somewhere along the line, had been beaten and battered down uh, long enough as a pastor that he got timid. Now, some people say, well, Timothy was immature. I don't believe so. I would argue with that. You know, Timothy was a wimp. That's the way he always was. Well, Timothy was put there, and first he was tested by Paul. How do I know that? 1 Timothy 3. He gives the qualifications for an overseer of the church. If anyone wants to be an overseer, he must be without reproach and, and several things listed there. He says what he must be. Timothy had to meet those or he wouldn't have been put in there as the chief elder of the church at Ephesus. So he met the qualifications. But over a period of time, he got worn down. Worn down. Burnout? Was he facing burnout? Sometimes it just happens when you get your eyes on people. When you get your eyes on people. Kind of an inside joke with, um, with, with people in the, the full-time ministry is ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. And that, <laughs> and that tells you real fast, and maybe you got your eyes on the wrong thing. <laughs> because ministry is about people. That's who it's about. But <clears throat> hope is not mentioned in that epistle in 2 Timothy. Interestingly enough. But what happens is if your faith and love wane and grow tired and grow weary, then hope becomes in jeopardy as well. Where is the promise of his coming? Peter writes about it. 2 Peter 3. Now... <clears throat> Those are the two of the three pastoral epistles. And then Titus. Now Titus, faith accepts God's calling. Faith accepts God's calling. Hope is based on the promise of eternity. And love should be the response. So here's Titus. Just look at these, these verses. Titus 1 Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those selected of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised long ago. So faith and hope are sure. Titus 2. Speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. See, it's about faith, hope, and love. And he keeps coming back to these throughout all of his epistles, the 13 epistles written by Paul. So here is Titus. And what about Philemon? 
gosh, this book is a just a chapter long. It's one of those, sometimes you give an assignment to Greek students and pick a book to exegete and they'll pick Philemon. Uh, they'll do that in Jude. And then they'll wish they hadn't picked either one of them. But the, the uh, uh, Philemon says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Now, in Philemon, he was commended for his love and his faith, but his hope received no comment in the book of Philemon. So was Paul writing this to try and build his hope? Because when Thessalonica, those epistles had already circulated. So they knew about these things. And so... Oh, hope's not mentioned. Here's a commendation. Have I got my eyes on the wrong things in this? How about First Peter? Well, you'd think we change authors. Huh. We change authors. Would we find any difference in this? No. How about Peter? God's mercy is to be blessed because we're born to a living hope through faith that can endure in love. This is 1 Peter 1 verse 3. And uh, if, if you're not there, go ahead and turn there with us because this is a, uh, a, a great passage. This is a passage that encourages us every time we read it, encourages me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that amazing? What he's just saying? You're born again and you already have an inheritance and it's already reserved. The omniscience of God already knew what rewards you're going to get. It's already there. It's already put up. It's, it's indeed an inheritance. Who are protected by the power of God through faith. For a salvation or deliverance ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last days. That salvation is the deliverance from this world. It's the rapture he's talking about. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, that's 1 Corinthians 3, the judgment seat of Christ, and all of our works are thrown into the fire, and what's left? Gold, silver, and precious stones. May be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The church I grew up in, we sing a song, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. It's a great song. You could clap along with it. It was it was a good one. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now, this, his mercy is there. We're born to a living hope. 
So we find this, this faith, hope, and love is all being commended once again in the early verses of the first epistle written by Peter. He, is, he does the same thing in 2 Peter. We'll go on there to 2 Peter. For by these, now this, this too, just flip a page or two over there. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Now that, that requires stop and think about it. How did you become a partaker of the divine nature? And you go through, well, he's king. He is righteous, just, eternal life, love, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. He's unchangeable and he always speaks the truth. And we have become partakers. So it's more than just something that is memorized and put in our head. It's something we have joined into fellowship with him about. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Long enough to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. For this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Okay, you really believe in the Lord, then what you want to do is you want to add moral excellence to it. You're not, guess what, you're not saved by moral excellence, as a lot of people think. Now we should be that way because we are saved. We should live a life of honor, character, integrity. That's who we should be. Supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control. And your self-control, perseverance, your perseverance, godliness. And your godliness, brotherly kindness, that's actually Philadelphos, brotherly love. And in your brotherly love, the Greek says, the love, which is the love of God. That's what we supply. For if these qualities are yours and increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> once again, what a what a blessing we have. But hope again is not mentioned. But what happens if you believe his precious, magnificent prof, uh, prophecies? You partake of the divine nature. <clears throat> you're looking toward a time when you receive the war the rewards. And if you're looking toward it with a confidence, you have hope. The word hope didn't actually have to be mentioned because it is so significantly <coughs> implied. Well, next week, or week after next, <coughs> excuse me, we will continue to look at the different books and then, <coughs> even in the letters to the seven churches of Revelation, guess what you can find in there? Issues of faith, hope, and love. All the way through. So how important is these things of faith, hope, and love? To us as the church, they're what makes a church. They're really what makes a church. We have faith in the right object. We have a hope that is unshakable. And our love is ever increasing. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we want to give you the praise for your amazing word. Father, as we look into it, we find that each word is important and valuable. Father, we find some things you say multiple times in multiple ways. And sometimes, Father, we just, we don't get it until we, we see it pointed out to us. 
And Father, the importance of faith, hope, and love is so important in your scheme of things because it is so clear in your revealed word. Help us to keep this in mind as we leave here and go out and minister to our family, our friends, our neighbors. Please help us to keep this in mind and please uh, help us to grow in each one of these so that we can honor you in all we think, say, and do. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.